the limitations and the constraints and the, the immobility and the power of the state to structure our immobility and to say, no, you can't go out, you can't come in, you really have to stay put. And that's obviously something migrants and refugees have dealt with for a very long time. And suddenly all of us collectively as a community are having to grapple with this. Welcome to the Festival of Urbanism's Book Club podcast. You're on City Road and my name is Fenella Kernebone. I'm the head of programming for Sydney Ideas, the public talks program at the University of Sydney, and it's fantastic to have your company. Today, Dallas Rogers is speaking with Shanti Robertson about her new book, Temporality in Mobile Lives, Contemporary Asia, Australia, Migration and Everyday Time. It's a fascinating discussion about how migration is changing our cities, and Shanti provides a fresh take on 21st century migration experiences from an innovative study of young Asian migrants' lives in Australia. Shanti is an Associate Professor at the School of Humanities and Communication Arts and Institute Fellow in the Institute for Culture and Society at Western Sydney University. Here's Dallas speaking now with Shanti via Zoom. Shanti, welcome to City Road and this special for the Festival of Urbanism, talking to authors of books about their books. And I will get to your book in a little bit. And I've already talked to you about that book on the Philosopher's Zone on the ABC, and we will put a link to that in the details of this podcast. But before we go there, I thought we could talk about a reading group that we're involved in. And Recently at the reading group, you talked about a fiction book called Exit West. How does that book give us some purchase on thinking about the themes in your book and cities? Yeah, I have been enjoying lately thinking about my fiction reading in relation to my scholarly reading and my scholarly practice. It's been a bit of a new thing for me. So Exit West is by an author called Mossin Hamid. And it's a really interesting piece of, I think, almost speculative fiction. And the premise is, what would happen if doors opened up between different places and cities and sites in the world? Kind of magical doors that people could just step through. So it's set in actually our contemporary world, and it begins in an unnamed Middle Eastern city that's plagued by civil conflict. And it focuses on two young people within that city who I guess like many young people in cities like that around the world are seeking a way out and getting out is really difficult. But these doors start appearing, these sort of magical supernatural doors that people can actually just walk through. You don't know where you're going to end up, but you will end up in another place. So it's kind of an allegory really for a borderless world and what would happen if the intense policing and regulation of global borders was really disrupted. Um, And so it follows these two young people who leave their city and end up in London on the outskirts of London. They kind of stumble through the door and come out in an empty mansion in one of these really uh, well-heeled areas of London. And it just follows their trajectory from there and speaks a little bit around what the political responses are as well. And the political responses are very, I think, quite real and quite realistically drawn in terms of how different governments cope with an influx of thousands of people just arriving and being um, and the capacity to uh, regulate that and the way cities evolve and develop around it. And the final section of the book really is about 
how cities would change in a world that's not entirely borderless, but where there's far less friction around the border. Mm. Quite an optimistic ending, really. I've been reading a lot of African-American speculative fiction, and I really like it. What do you think about that as a sort of genre and fiction as a way of dealing with and having a conversation about these very serious topics? I think really important, and I think particularly in the contemporary moment where we all do do feel like we're living in a dystopia anyway, so I think the line between what is a speculative kind of future and what is a very near and very present future is getting really blurry. I think the interesting thing about Exit West is it's only very lightly speculative, like the central conceit of The Doors is really the only magical or sci-fi type thing that happens in the book everything else is actually highly realist so I liked that and I found that just an interesting approach Mm. something for people to pick up and have a read of let's get into your book just very quickly what's your book about Uh, my book is about a particular form of 21st century migration to Australia so it focuses on the lives of young, mostly middle-class migrants from Asia. And what's specific about them is that they all arrive in Australia on temporary visas, but then stay for relatively long periods of time. So, you know, between kind of two and 10 years. And many of them do end up getting Australian permanent residency or citizenship, some don't. So really the book is a bit of a reflection on the social consequences of the kind of destabilisation of the permanent migration paradigm in Australia. So the move from a 20th century system which really privileged permanent settlement to a 21st century system where migration trajectories are much more fragmented. A lot of people, especially young people, arrive on temporary visas and they have these sort of fragmented pathways across different visa categories as they try to build a life in Australia or have a particular kind of experience in Australia. And the central conceptual scaffolding for the book really is around temporality, so the experience of time. And particularly in looking at how these quite transient and insecure migration experiences really affect the times of people's lives, whether that's biographical time, the way they move through and plan the next stage of their lives, or whether that's the way they actually have that embodied experience of everyday time. And it reflects a little bit on how temporality kind of works quite differently in different parts of the world and how when people move through space, they're also often shifting through registers and experiences of time. So I guess it's looking at a contemporary form of migration, which has particular kind of demographic characteristics, a particular kind of experience and journey attached to it. And it's looking at that through the lens of temporality. Excellent. So let's take those in turn. I think people would be very interested to learn and hear more about the demographic changes in this cohort of people that you're researching. It's very different to migration from somewhere like China uh, previously, isn't it? Yeah, so I think the big changes this century to Australian migration has been that enormous shift from permanence to various forms of temporariness and forms of temporariness that can become long-term or can become permanent. So that's been a really big sort of temporal shift. But also, obviously, there's been a a demographic shift 
where uh, our point system favours migrants in the earlier stages of their working lives. So lots of new migrants to Australia are young. And certainly in terms of countries of origin, we've seen a really big shift towards Asia in the last 20 years as well. So the vast majority of people, particularly coming in as international students, as skilled migrants, as working holiday makers, are people in that 20 to 30 age category and are coming from Asian countries, particularly India and China. Hmm. Let's get into some of the stories in the book. And can you unpack some of these ideas about temporality with a couple of stories from your participants? Yeah, so I might start with um, one example. So I met with a young woman who came to Australia from Taiwan. And uh, she was really looking for a kind of different lifestyle in coming to Australia and also a different career. But she was really feeling like the pressure of life in Taipei. And as a young single woman, she was also feeling an intense amount of pressure to, to get married, to have children, to move on with some of those traditional markers of life. So coming to Australia and doing a master's degree was a bit of an escape for her, maybe a chance to sort of reroute her life a little bit away from what she felt had been laid out. Uh, and the expectations of her family and her community. And she did start off in Sydney as a student, but then in order to get sponsorship for a work visa, she moved to a regional area, to Rockhampton, which is in northern Queensland. And she reflected a lot on the different pace of life in the different places that she'd lived and how one of the biggest cultural adaptations she really had to make was around time, you know, coming from a really fast-paced global 24-hour city like Taipei and into this more kind of quite sleepy, relaxed regional centre form of time where the shops close at five o'clock, people are usually going to bed at about 10. And she talked a lot about kind of adapting to a different rhythm, but also talking about what benefits that had kind of brought to her and how she was really living a very different pace of life, both in terms of everyday routine, but also in terms of that sense of progressing towards particular goals and particular life milestones. So for a lot of young people, transnational mobility can maybe be a timeout from some of these normative timelines and timings, but can also be a permanent change to a completely different pace of life. And there are often different values that people attached to a pace of life as well uh, in terms of what they want out of their life and out of their futures. That's really fascinating. I guess there's two things in there. One of them is biographical time, so the time that's attached to the person in that place. But the other one is kind of the different rhythms of places, of cities. So maybe Beijing or Taipei is different to Sydney or indeed somewhere outside of Sydney, some rural setting in Australia? Yeah, so the two things that nearly everybody in my study spoke about and in previous work as well is uh, how early people wake up in Australia. Uh, that even in a big city like Sydney, a global city, we are a really early morning culture and it's a massive culture shock to uh, see people out and about exercising and actually doing things at six o'clock in the morning. That's very foreign. And the other thing that is uh, persistently pointed out by research participants who come from Asia is how slow our internet is. So <laughs> there's a, you know, although these aren't migrants who are kind of moving from a peripheral or rural or slow or like less modern time. They're coming from places that are very fast paced. And um, sometimes part of the culture shock is 
is a slowness, a sense of slowness, even in the big cities in Australia. <laughs> and then that, again, uh, has a different flavour to it as well. And a lot of these young people do move to regional areas because there are more opportunities often there for work sponsorship and for visas. So people often find themselves, even within Australia, moving between these different dynamics of time as they go to different places looking for different kinds of opportunities. And I guess lay it alongside that everyday temporality in a city or a town is often also the uncertainty of their migration pathway. So the sense that the days might be counting down until your visa expires uh, and you've got to start strategizing and planning for what you're going to do next when mm. things are a little bit uncertain. Hello, Fenella Kernabone again. If you're enjoying this discussion, make sure you head over to the City Road podcast website to listen to the other six interviews in this series. All the details are on the City Road podcast and Festival of Urbanism websites. We would love to hear from you too, so tweet us at City Road Pod. And now back to the conversation. We have talked on the Philosopher's Zone on the ABC about chromo mobilities, but what is that idea, just quickly? It's quite a simple, I mean, it's sort of the conceptual scaffolding for my book in a way, and it really is just about thinking about people's mobility uh, across borders, but also through their lives, through the lens of time. And so I was really interested in quite a, a sociological approach to thinking about temporality in the lives of mobile young people. And with the chronomobilities framework, I was very interested in breaking that down into thinking about time regimes. So the structures of time that really enable and constrain how people can move. And so a migration system is a really good example of that. Visas always have time delineations, expiry dates. Many of these visas that young people come to Australia on also have other time limitations, like how many hours a week you can work or how long you need to stay with a particular employer or how much work experience you need to accumulate or months of education in order to move on to the next visa. So there are all these temporal dimensions of the regime there. And I guess in there, like the thing that we haven't said, is that we typically think about migration as a spatial movement, as a movement from one place to another. And what you're doing actually is saying, well, actually, time is really important in this. Yeah, absolutely. Time is really, really important. And I think migration studies in general is really looking a lot more closely at that now. Uh, and thinking about movement and mobility and space in a way that makes time and temporality much more explicit. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's coming in the future in terms of your work. And you've got a couple of big Australian Research Council grants. One of them's on Sinoburbia or Sinoburbias. What is that project about? So this is a little bit more about some of the um, implications for urban life on these new migration demographics in Australia. So that's looking at 21st century migrant mobility, specifically from China. So Australia has a really long history of Chinese migration, which, you know, dates all the way back to the gold rush. But again, you know, the last 20 years, we've seen a big spike in a particular demographic from mainland China, young, educated, professionally skilled arriving in cities like Melbourne and Sydney. So we're really interested in the Sinoburbia project in 
the move from Chinese Sydney kind of away from Chinatown in Haymarket and out to the suburbs. So there are now about 10 suburbs in Sydney where the population of residents of Chinese heritage is 30% and above. So we're looking at some of those concentrations of Chinese settlement around Sydney and looking at the different demographics in different suburbs and saying, how are these new migrant mobilities, this recent demographic of what's often referred to as new Chinese migration, how are they changing these local places and how, are, how is urban life and suburban life unfolding in new ways because of these new migrant demographics. And some of these areas have long histories of multiculturalism and migration, but others are kind of new. And as you know, in Sydney, it's a city that is in a constant state of development and change. So we're looking at new build master plan suburbs, older suburbs with long multicultural histories, and sort of having a look at how particularly that everyday suburban civic and social life, how's that transforming with these new migrant demographics? Yeah. Are you still interested in time in that project or are you moving on a bit more to look at culture and place here? This is a little bit more focused on culture and place and it's focused on everyday civic life and the forms of everyday citizenship. So the premise of that project really is that there's often a narrative that migrants from mainland China have a kind of a civic deficit and that uh, there's a challenge in getting them to integrate into a democratic culture, I guess. This is the, the narrative or the line that we probably want to counter a little bit with this project. And our premise is really that for new migrants, civic practice and civic connection starts at the level of the local. So your local libraries, your community centres, taking the kids to Saturday morning sport, uh, getting involved with your local environmental group or Tai Chi group or walking group, that this is kind of the nexus for where civic practice and civic identity starts and where it grows. So those are the kinds of sites that we're really interested in looking at. You know, if you're looking at a suburb that has these established centres of civic activity, whether that's a community garden or a play group or whatever it is, uh, how are these spaces adapting and changing to new migration dynamics? What are some of the barriers and the opportunities around people's inclusion in these spaces? And how do people's different migration experiences and their different cultural backgrounds shape how they approach their interactions and their belongings in these spaces? Maybe to bring it back to Sydney then, you've written a couple of books now. This is your second book about time and mobility and migration. You're doing a project now on culture and place, and they kind of straddle this COVID moment. Do you have any reflections on migration and cities and settlement post-COVID? Um, yes, I do. I think, I think that migration will hopefully if this pandemic does come under control then I think migration will return to Australia and I think that there is probably kind of bipartisan support for migration being part of the post-pandemic economic recovery. I think there's an opportunity there for some reform of migration policy particularly skilled migration policy but I'm not really I wouldn't speculate what that will look like but I think if on a more sort of collective imaginary and a more perhaps philosophical level, I think 
the pandemic has sort of fundamentally changed our collective understandings of the border. And I think what's been really interesting for me is some of the things that I've heard migrants reflect on and struggle with so much throughout my research are now things that are affecting everybody, even people who've never really moved or migrated in their lives. So the closed border has brought the limitations and the constraints and the the immobility and the power of the state to structure immobility and to say, no, you can't go out, you can't come in, you really have to stay put. And that's obviously something migrants and refugees have dealt with for a very long time. And suddenly all of us collectively as a community are having to grapple with this, having to grapple with family separation, with uncertainty, with this sense of feeling really stuck in place and in time and that kind of inability to move forward and have the freedom to move. So the pandemic has kind of brought the border into everybody's lives in a really present way. So I think that might actually change the way we collectively think about migration going forward. We can only hope. Shanti, thanks so much for joining me today. My absolute pleasure, Dallas. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Festival of Urbanism's Book Club podcast on City Road. I'm Fenella Kernerbone, Head of Programming for Sydney Ideas at the University of Sydney. And if you enjoyed this conversation, we have another six interviews in this series to have a listen to. Kurt Iverson speaks to Elizabeth Farrelly about her book, Killing Sydney. Preston Peachy speaks with Julie Jansen about benevolence. And Dallas Rogers talks with Tom Slater about his new book, Shaking Up the City. He also sits down with Adam Morton to talk about Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian and Vanessa Berry on Mirror Sydney. And we wrap up the series in Western Sydney with Catriona Menzies-Pike on Second City Essays from Western Sydney. All the details are up there on the City Road podcast and Festival of Urbanism websites. See you next time.